Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We've got a repeat. I think you might be my, the first repeat that I'm aware of. Uh, oh, yeah? We, I think so, yeah. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. Okay. Um, so I'm flying solo. Dr. Bolden is on a boat for his wife's 40th uh, birthday party. So uh, I can hold this one down because it's a friend and someone who I consider to be a real expert in our field. Dr. Jennifer Perna, you may know her as the yogi dentist. Um, it's good to have you back again. Yeah, it's really wonderful to be back. I appreciate you inviting me back on the podcast. And I always, you know, I'm always learning and growing and I love sharing all of that knowledge with whoever wants to listen. That's awesome. It's great that we live in a day and an age where we can just get so much learning done without having to pay very much for it. Obviously, there's a lot of CE that costs money, but uh, if you're listening to this, congratulations. You want to grow, you want to get better. And um, I think you're speaking to our purposes. Jenny and I uh, love to give back and uh, it's good to, good to get this started. So today's an interesting topic and what I think you're uniquely qualified for. So we're talking about associateships, and I know you just did a recent lecture series on it, um, and I want to just talk about this because there's so much to unpack here, and there, there's so much shame in dentistry, um, and, and you're going to hear me talking about this a lot because like, it's top of mind for me. I, I hear the words, I am just a blank a lot. I'm just a GP. I'm just an associate. I'm just a whatever. I'm just a new grad. So I think there's something to be said about the associateship. So tell me in your experience, you know, because I know you've had successful and unsuccessful ones. What are the three things that you like to talk about? Like when you're talking about a successful associateship? Yeah, absolutely. I have been an associate for six years in my career. And like you touched on, I have had different associateships. I used to live in Florida. I worked there, moved out to Austin, Texas. And so what I feel that I have noticed as well is that I used to say that I'm just an associate and thinking that I had no control over the space in which I was in and I would get that victim mentality. And so when I think about being an associate after the years of just being an associate, uh, three of the things that I find that are very, very crucial, I think it's imperative that we become a leader. I think that as a doctor, no matter who you are in the office, you are a leader the second you walk into that door. And I think it's imperative to own that and to practice that and to put that into action. I think it's also crucial to start to understand the business of dentistry. I think that gives a whole different perspective. And it also gives you the opportunity to show your value to your owner doctor. And then therefore, they're going to be more likely to invest in you if they feel that you guys are on the same page with a lot of things within the office. And then one of the things that I'm really passionate about, again, as well, is um, continuing education and advancing yourself. If you are going to be a chairside dentist, I don't know a chairside dentist that's like, you know what I really love doing? MODs at 4 p.m. on every single tooth, you know? It's nice to be able to bring more skills into the repertoire. And I think that those are the three things that have really helped me uh, enjoy being an associate more and more through the years. Yeah. So the first thing is what your first topic is what originally brought me to you. Um, somehow we got connected on Instagram. I don't exactly know the reason, but I was immediately taken with your leadership and leadership is something that um, I just want to define that for the listener and those who know me well, it doesn't mean that you're male or female, outspoken, loud, quiet, tall, short. It just means that your actions inspire others to be better. So mm -hmm. And, and that's what I could palpably tell from you because of the way you were leading those practices that you were in. 
and I remember talking to you early on and be like, All right, do you, you know, what's your deal? What, what are you doing? And, you, and, and, and I could just tell this leadership uh, quality about you. And I think that most people limit their own leadership capability by the dialogue that they have. So I'm just a blank is the first step in not becoming a leader. I'm just an associate. I'm just a woman. I'm just a man. Whatever the word that you limit yourself, because if you don't give your per- yourself permission and authority to lead others, no one will follow you. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, when I first started as an associate, like I said before, I was more of that victim of like, I'm just an associate and no one's going to listen to me and no one's listening to me. And why is that not happening? And what I realized is that I wasn't stepping into a leadership role. I expected people to listen to me because I was a doctor, plain and simple. And you can't do that. You have to gain respect. You have to show people that you care. And like you said, you have to inspire. And I think that's one of the most special things that we can do as dentists is to inspire and elevate people every single day to just live their best selves, perform to their highest level and continue pushing themselves. And at a certain point, you know, when you are trying to be an elite, a leader and you're in a dysfunctional or toxic practice, there's going to be a certain point where you actually are not being a victim and saying, I am not the owner. I am just an associate. I've tried everything and I can't fix it. Like I'm trying to inspire my people. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to make, you know, a better situation for them, but the owner doctor is coming in and squashing everybody. So right. there is a point in time. I'm not saying like all oh, associateships are great. You have to pick the right practice. And if you happen to choose the wrong practice, there is a time where like, okay, I've got to cut this, you know, and talk about that. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Absolutely. And it's very ironic that you bring that up because last year at the summit, I remember coming up to you and I was actually quite broken at that moment because I felt that was I that had before done- after I talked to you. <laughs> I, do, I do remember a very pointed discussion about you. Before, it was before. I'm happy you still like me. <laughs> no, it wasn't you, but you were asking me questions that made me really like just turn around and look at everything, to be honest. And so I was in an opportunity where I had to be the leader because there wasn't much leadership going on there. And within that, I took so much onto myself and I tried so hard to lead and things weren't happening. And we had really toxic people in positions that had not been let go. And what I really think you can do first and foremost as a leader is self-reflect. So if something's not working, is it me? Do I need to try to lead better? And for me, that can go as far as like getting really down on myself. So I, I was kind of facing that and it's hard, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. When you try to be a leader and you try to step up and you just don't see the changes happening and you feel that you're the only one at that place, that scenario, trying to make it better. It's a really tough position to be in. And you're right. You just sometimes have to know, okay, I have to walk away. Maybe this opportunity is not the one for me, but maybe there is an associateship out there where I get to be the person, the doctor, the leader that I want to be, and I'm able to see the results that I want to see. Uh, and, you know, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, all the challenges that I've, I, I've gone through where I really had the finger pointed outwards. You know, there's that saying, when you point the finger outwards, there's th- still three fingers pointing back at you. Um you know, not being in an associateship and being the founder owner of a practice, I, I had to make it work. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that to some level, practice ownership is being romanticized in the industry. It's like, you know, that's, there's something about that because the examples of when it's done right are highly publicized. We all know the Dr. Appas and the, and the myriad of successful people that own their own practices and what rock stars they are, but the ones who shouldn't just kind of fall off and fade away. And I meet a lot of those people, by the way. So right. I've, I've met like dozens upon dozens of people that I go through their PL and I look at everything and I'm like, do you love owning your practice? And they'll say like, yeah, of course. Well, well why not? I'm like, do you love skiing? Oh, well, I love skiing. Yeah. Which do you like more? Cause both are costing you money. And I say that all the time. And it's not, I'm not joking. I've literally met people that collect a million dollars and their hygiene does, you know, a bunch of money too. And at the end of the day, we look at their net net and they make less than they would as an associate. So, right. And I think there's a narrative, and this is one of the reasons why I want to talk to you, because there's a narrative being pushed on everybody. Everyone should own a dental practice. And I look back at my career and, you know, if, you know, uh, we were talking right before I hit record, that concentration is one of the reasons why people get rich in, in the world. They have concentration in one specific area. But one of the most common reasons why people go broke is they have concentration in one area. So if your income and your practice are together, meaning your source of wealth, that, that your income, and your long-term asset is, is together, it can be dangerous for people. And I look back at my own career, if I would have you know, not been a practice owner, if I would have met a person that was doing something that I really liked and I would have hooked my wagon or hitched my wagon to that person. And I was, a, would have been a sound investor in all the stuff I had to learn as an entrepreneur and all the ass kicking and sleepless nights. If I would have emptied that energy into investing, I don't know where I'd be. It would just be right. interesting, but I had a dream to do something very different and I had to do it, but I had really good reasons. And I think one of the major reasons that I hear a lot is I wanted to own a practice because I wanted to make more money and money is the money only is a good reason for money problems. Money only fixes money problems. So it's right. always got to have a deeper reason why. Um, and I think that as an associate, there's a level of leadership and then as an owner, Sometimes it's hard to switch. So early on, you're like, this place is super screwed up. I got to get out of here. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But mm-hmm. as the, when you have your own place, you can't abandon it. So right. it takes, you have to start looking at the mirror. Like a lot of my biggest failures, I really trace them back, Jenny. And I'm like, oh shit, that was me. That was mm-hmm. me. That was me. Right. I created that problem. And right. it's, it's humbling. It's, it's a little disappointing, but it's also humbling to know that you're at cause for things. It's freeing right. actually. It is. And I think it's important to be humble. I think it's important in life to be humble, but especially when you're trying to be a leader and knowing that you may execute something and think it's the best idea ever, and it doesn't have the result you want. And you have to be able to reflect and be like, well, we probably shouldn't do that again. That's probably not the path. The team loves that. So I tell a lot of doctors as well, we, we got a lot of training on dentistry. You know, you've gone to Coish, you're like a super dentist, you know, by any virtue, by any measure, you're a super dentist, but we get no training in leadership and your team is craving it. And by virtue of you being a doctor, you are a leader. But the team loves a conversation like, hey, guys, I went to dental school. I know how to fix the teeth. I know how to do this really well. But I never had leadership training. I was never the coach of the basketball team. I was, you know, I didn't go to business school. So just understand I'm trying to do the best thing for this practice and the people in it. I care about all of you guys, but be patient with me. People love that authenticity. And I think that that's something that's always been very hard for me. And the more that I've, again, stepped into a leadership role, being vulnerable is also 
crucial. And that's hard. It's really hard to let your ego Why down. Why is it hard? Yeah, keep down. down. Well, I just think because I think it's part of that, like, um, imposter syndrome of yeah, that. If you, that. if you see my faults, then that's an issue, right? I can tell, I can tell you my faults, but if you see my faults, then we have a problem. And I, I think that's something that we, it's hard to get over. And I think it's hard, especially as doctors, right? You're going into dental school and you're in this competitive environment and you want to be the best in your whole life. You've wanted to be the best, the best, the best. And it's hard sometimes to say, Hey, I'm learning. I'm figuring this out and I'm going to continue learning. And I think it's just a hard space to be in, but if you can get over that, it opens up doors to oh, better leadership. Massive because you're authentic. We're all right. faking it in some way of life. Like your first crown prep, you're faking the whole thing. You're like, oh, Mr. Jones, it could be great. Like your first block year, you have, right. we're all imposters at a certain level. And I mean, mm -hmm. it gets, it, it never ceases, you know, that, that imposter syndrome, but you backfill it in with expertise. So mm -hmm. the, the place that I'm at, I'm, I'm, you know, turning 50 soon. And I don't mind telling anybody that I don't know anything. And it's mm -hmm. just so freeing. To, to not have all the answers because you never did, you know, you never had all the answers. And I think that your team, uh, that vulnerability of leadership, like saying, hey, guys, I'm not, I didn't go to leader school. I went to dental school. I think you can provide a lot of value. So if you're struggling with your leadership right now, there's nothing like a reset, you know, and I, I, I guide a lot of people to do those types of resets where you sit your team down and kind of talk, talk about all that stuff. The business of dentistry. Um, and I want you to go into that second level of what you believe that means? Why does an associate need to be familiar with the business of dentistry? That's intriguing to me. Well, I think in one case, if you're an associate, let's say you do have sites set on ownership, right? You have this vision beyond just, I want to make more money. Cause as you said, that's not always going to be the case. You have to know how to run a business. If you're going to make money as a business owner, as an owner doc. Um, so that, I think that's an wonderful opportunity as an associate to figure things out within business. How are budgets made? What's the overhead? What's the goal for overhead? How are we bonusing? What are we doing in terms of recall list and getting patients in? And how are we confirming calls so that patients show up? Just learning everything that maybe that practice is doing right, wrong, whatever they are doing, I think is such a wonderful avenue to just learn. But I also think it's important because I see often, and I, I talk to dentists often via Instagram that, especially when it comes down to like what percentage they're going to make as an associate. And oftentimes they'll just throw a percentage out there and coming from someone like me, who I have understood the business of dentistry, you're just asking too much. And this is probably within a contract negotiation before you've ever even shown your value as an associate or as a doctor. And so if you can't understand overhead and you're trying to throw in a $10,000 piece of implant equipment because you went to one implant course, I don't know that your owner doc is going to be very happy or satisfied that you're not respecting what the business is first and foremost. Well, also, I, you brought up something interesting. I want to just cut you for a second. Yeah, You're sure. saying don't throw out the percentage for the associate without them understanding your worth. Same thing. Don't ask what you want until you understand what the practice is about. So I think right. that most junior associates, people that are coming out of school and whatnot, they don't understand that not all dental practices are created equal. 
Right. Like you've got to pick what type of dental practice you want to join. There's dental practices out there that pride themselves that they pay no one more than, you know, no assistant or team member more than $15 or $12 an hour. They offer no benefits. It's mm-hmm. 30 minute pro fees. It's high insurance, high volume. That is a very different career path than going to work with another doctor who does FMR, has a lab. There's, you have to pick which type of practice you want to join. Right. And that changes everything. If you're going to be, like you said, if you're going to be in a high volume insurance-based practice, your percentage isn't going to go as far as if you're in a fee-for-service, higher fee kind of office. And I think that asking those questions and being showing the owner doc that you understand business, I think is valuable. And then also when you're speaking with them, ask those questions of like, okay, if we're negotiating a percentage, well, what does a typical schedule look like? What do you, what are your fee schedules look like? If you're getting paid off collections, okay, what's your collection rate? You know, these are the questions to ask. And it shows without saying, I know business, it's showing I understand the business of dentistry. And I just want to make sure that I'm providing value and that I'm also being compensated appropriately. Yeah. You can't spend your compensation. You can't spend your percentage. You can only spend what your income is. So one one of the things in like a multi-doctor practice like this, people say like, well, you know, what's the percentage? I'm like, listen, you know, at the end of the day, you really want to ask what are some of the other doctors doing? Mm -hmm. So if you have a doctor that's working four days a week, who's taking home five or 600 grand on let's call it 32%. And then you, there's another office that you could go down the street and you could be paid 50% and not even be able to make a hundred grand. Those are different. Th- those are different ideas. Those are different right. practices. And right. I, I think that we, the, the, I think more than knowing the business or as much as knowing the business is the associates got to know the dentist has got to know, and this is not just an associate, the doctor's got to know what do they want to achieve? What do they want to get from the practice? And mm-hmm. And I, I have so many people that have interviewed here that know nothing. They show up. I mean, maybe not as much now, but three, five years ago before there was the podcast, people would show mm-hmm. up like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Do you have, do you have a, do you have specialists here? Do you have a lab? I'm like, well, just, wouldn't you have just at least gone on like the Facebook page <laughs> and learned something about it? Right. You something. Know, <laughs> so but I think that's an important part, an important point too. Like if you're a dentist too, and you're doing bread and butter dentistry and you haven't advanced your skills at all, you're probably going to take home less as well. So yes. if you go into a practice and there's, you know, associate dentists that have worked there in the past, maybe you're taking over for someone, maybe it's a group practice and they're doing FMR, they're doing implant placements, they've right. taken the Kois, the Spear, the Dawson's, and they're an advanced practitioner then they're going to be taking home more as well. And I think that's a really good point and a great question if you're interviewing as an associate is asking the doctor, what are you looking for? Who do you see as your ideal associate? And be honest with yourself. If you are not what that owner doc describes, perhaps this isn't the opportunity for you. Right. And then make sure that like, so let's just take two examples of two different people. So let's take on one polar end of the, the doctor that they're Coist trained or what happened. We're using Coist just as a placeholder, but bank, uh, Panky Dawson, like you've done advanced training. You like doing FMR, you like the bigger cases, but yet the practice does not either look the part or is not in a demographic to support that. You mm-hmm. have to, you can't kid yourself. You have to have the skill and you have to partner with a practice that can support what you want to do. 
And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's rogue examples of the guy that practices in rural Iowa and his, all his patients are farmers and he does tons of FMRs. But more than likely, if your town has a Mercedes dealership or a Cadillac dealership in it, there's the demographics to support the 30, 40, $50,000 uh, right. FMR type dentistry. If there's right. not a Mercedes or Cadillac dealership for 300 or 500 miles, it's typically going to be harder for you. So I think it's important to choose the practices that can support the work you you want to do. It's you have to be the person, you have to have the skill, and you have to have the the location to do it. All right, new for 2021, we want to invite everyone listening to join us on our private network. It's free to join. Join the conversation at bulletproof.dental. You can even download it in the app store. Just look for the Mighty Network app and you can download it there. But just point your browser to bulletproof.dental and join and sign up and start collaborating on um, some of the ideas we discuss on the podcast. Um, There's content there to download and um, it's all designed to help grow and stimulate us together. Hope everyone has a great day. I have a unique perspective in that, you know, we're, we're 10 doctors under one roof and I see some doctors doing, you know, $2 million of production or collections, you know, two and a half and other doctors would come in and not be able to do it as much. And one of the things that was interesting is it didn't relate to clinical skill as much. It related to people's ability to bond and build rapport and their own character and confidence. So you could be the best trained doctor in the world. If you don't have that rapport building skill, you won't be able to make it. It's unfortunate that that's the case, but that's, you know, people have to give you permission to do the dentistry. You have to like that person. Well, and I think that goes back to leadership. We're not just leading our team. We're also leading our patients. And so we have to know how to communicate to our patients, their needs. And oftentimes the dentistry, you're telling patients something maybe for the first time that they don't know that they keep cracking a tooth on number 31 because they actually have a collapsed bite, right? So we have to know how to connect with people and build relationships with people. I like to think that we're in the business of relationships, truly within our team and within our patients. And the more that we can build that trust via our team and our patients, the more dentistry we're gonna inevitably do because that trust is already there. I love what you just said about um, dentistry as leadership like to our patients. So simple dentistry where someone walks in and number 30 snapped off, that's not really leadership. Like, hey, Ms. Jones, you know that thing that's cutting your mouth? Yeah, that's why I'm here. Well, that needs a crown. Okay, let's roll. But right. leadership on about FMR is leadership. It's come follow me on this journey to change your life. It's mm-hmm. a massive, massive step. You have to have leadership skills to say, hey, Mrs. Jones, you've had tons of dentistry done. Everything's a different color. Your bites collapse. Come follow me. Come join me on this journey. I'll take you to the place that you need to go to. And that's a key concept that many people do not understand. Right. And I think also that goes along the lines of I'm a doctor, just trust me. And that doesn't, there's a million doctors. And they get pissed off by the way, when, when the doctor has like, I don't know why she's asking me questions. Like I went to dental school, what dental school did you go to? Like, who gives a shit? Like you have to, (laughs) these people have to like you and trust you and you have to build that. And then by the way, the person that the doctor, that's like, I don't know why they're asking me these questions. It's ridiculous. When they get questioned, they start going to biomax protrusion, alveolus, altered passive eruption. Patients are just glazing over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that what you touched on about leadership for, for larger dentistry is really true. For basic dentistry, not so much. 
Right. And no, I think in, Invisalign's that type of conversation too, because Invisalign outside of the looks of it, the diagnostic criteria and timeline for Invisalign is long. A broken tooth is cutting you. A decayed tooth is getting worse. It's causing pain. But like malocclusion doesn't typically cause any major discomfort. You know, you could be a 25-year-old right. man with tons of crowding and worn teeth and bring up Invisalign. You have to talk about the ghost of Christmas future. You have to say mm -hmm. like, hey, you're fine right now. There's no cavities and there's no perio. But if you don't unravel these teeth, you see how they're worn. Look at the Atera scan. You see what's going on here. If we don't take care of this, it's going to turn into something bigger. And that is leadership. That's leadership right, right there. Right. And I love to have the conversation, especially when I'm talking about occlusion, whether or not it's like FMR or Invisalign um, of, I say, hey, if I don't see you for X amount of years, you disappear and you come back, I couldn't tell you, can kind of put a crystal ball on it that X, Y, and Z are going to happen. And so, yes, you're not having any issues today, but down the future, we may start to see those issues. And I think that patients appreciate that. They appreciate that you're saying, if I do something today, I don't have to do something tomorrow that is going to spend more time, money, effort with me. I'll hang out with you all day, but I'm assuming you'd like to prevent some future problems. And I think patients understand and appreciate that, but it takes taking the time to build those relationships and rapport with the patients. I think what you just said is not only the right thing to say, it's like your ethical and moral responsibility to tell those patients, mm -hmm. but you and I can know anecdotally that the conversations we have, you know, you've been in dentistry for a certain amount of time. I've been in dentistry for even longer. And the amount of times that a patient says to me at the end of a conversation like that, no one has ever told me that means mm -hmm. that we, us dentists, Jenny, you and me and our colleagues, we're not doing a very good job. We're mm -hmm. doing a great job at the immediate need. You know, mm -hmm. yes, it's cutting your tongue. Yes, you got decay. We got to fix that. But we're not becoming true partners in wellness. We're getting people unsick, broken 30, crown on 30, broken nine, crown on nine, decay on 40, you know, 30, you know, you know that. But we're not, we're not leading our patients. And I think it's because, you know, we blame insurances, we blame whatever, but it's, it's our conscious decision to spend less time with each patient in an effort to make more money, two books book at the same or two rooms book at the same time, three three rooms. I mean, geez, I've heard of four and five rooms. I've heard of the course that's the five minute endo, the six minute crown prep. Like, look what's out there. No, I know, and that's something too. Just speaking back to associateships, that you have to be able to understand about yourself too. What I learned via being an associate is that very very high paced environment where you don't have much time with every patient is not for me. I like to have the time with my patients so that we can build that rapport. And so I've, I've flipped the script of how I'm going to be practicing in the practice that I should be in. I don't love the fast pace. And so I think it's important to self-realize, self-reflect and yep. say, well, what do I enjoy and how am I going to be the best version of myself chair side or with the team and whatnot? So here's the problem with that. I agree with you 100%. So if I was going out looking, I've, I know the type of dentistry I want to practice. I want to slow it down. I want more time, better team, better equipment, better technology, better customer service, because I know those are the things that will help me be more successful. But when you get out of school, if three different grads get out of school, the one that's thinking like you and I, the first three or four months of their practice, they're going to be doing very little revenue. Whereas mm -hmm. the one that's in the high paced, 
high pressure DSO is going to be cranking doing single unit dentistry. So the first couple of months, their friends are going to be like, hey, I did 70, 80 this month. And the FMR slow guys going to be like, eh. You know, it takes time to build those types of practices. It, it definitely does. And, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong either of when you first get out going to the higher paced volume. I would think one of the worst things that could happen if you graduate is to sit around and you're not getting faster. You're not advancing your skills of just everything you learned in dental school. I think a lot of people get out of dental school and they're immediately, their expectations are much, much higher than what reality is. And I think it's actually, I've worked in, you know, a DSO model. I think that although long-term it's not for me, um, I think as a new grad, you get to get your speed up. You get to see a bunch of different cases. You get to learn what it's like working with a team. And I think that's really important when you first get out and not maybe jumping to the FMR because you probably don't even know how to handle those cases just yet. Yeah, exactly. It's probably better for you not to jump right into this. But um, it's funny because I, I have a lot of people that, there's a lot of shame about the DSO as well, by the way. So mm -hmm. when I was interviewing um, last, I had a, like a massive amount of people, like 40 people for like one position or something like that. And the people, and this is a gross over uh, simplification. It's anecdotal. It's just my experience. So just take it with a grain of salt. But those that worked in private practices knew a lot less about their business, their leadership mm -hmm. and everything else than the, than the good DSO guys. The DSO guys at least knew that I have a 38% treatment acceptance rate and I, you know, and the recare effectiveness rate and blah, blah, blah. My production, the, the, the fee for, a lot of the fee for service people that worked in smaller, you know, fee for service practices had some really weird things going down and they didn't know as much. And, oh, what do you mean you're sterilizing the hand pieces? Don't you just wipe them off? I'm like, no. So, so you can, we can, we can talk, you know, at least I, I can oftentimes talk some smack about the DSO, but they, they have a threshold and, you know, you said something about like one of the associates was te texting you like paying on time. Like, mm -hmm. I guess that's an issue. And the, right. I don't think that DSOs could have a hundred or two or 300 doctors if they weren't paying on time. I had an associate friend of mine just leave a really good opportunity and go down to work for another dentist and, he said, this guy's amazing. He drives a Ferrari and it's awesome. And he's going to pay me X percentage. And he tells me like the lab bills for his Invisalign cases were COD, cash on delivery. Like oh, he wow. would sell an Invisalign case to Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones would come in and the UPS or FedEx guy would be like, I am not giving this box until the $2,000 lab fee is paid. Like oh, wow. nobody's being paid. So like that's yeah. I experienced that. So my very first associateship uh, right out of my residency, it was a group practice and it was, it wasn't a DSO, but it was ran very business forward. Uh, so I had the opportunity to learn all the numbers at the time. I didn't appreciate everything I was learning as life is. You just don't appreciate it until you look back and reflect. But I felt that that showed me how to think like an owner. Even if I'm an associate, it showed me how to think like an owner. And I knew my case acceptance and I knew my numbers. I knew how much I was presenting. I knew what our recall rates were. I knew how much perio was being diagnosed in the office. And so it got my mind thinking that way. Well, on the flip side as well, we wouldn't get paid very often. <laughs> so I have experienced that where, you know, you're not, oh, you don't know when payday is, and that can be very hard. And so you're right. 
DSOs, I think that DSOs get a bad reputation in general, right? But too. any dental office can be a bad fit or it can be run poorly. Right. And but I the conversation, the narrative is mm-hmm. private practice is where it's at and DSOs suck. And that's just not as valid. It's not as simple. It's nuanced. No. I think it's case by case. And I think there's, there's benefits and there's drawbacks to every single situation. So yes, if you find that unicorn opportunity and it's fee for service and it's got a great owner doc, who's mentoring you, congratulations, but that doesn't exist everywhere. And I think the mentality is that that's how dentistry is, is that if it's private practice, it's all rainbows and butterflies and that's not necessarily the case. And if it's DSO, it's all like production, production and no care. It's, and I think that, you know, listen, the DSOs have evolved a lot as well. Peter and I talk about this quite frequently. DSOs are kind of like the hotel industry, you know, in the beginning it was all super rates and holiday ends. And now you have Ritz Carlton's and dentists. I mean, it's funny because you look at hotels as an example, hoteliers don't own their properties they, or they own their properties, but they license through the Ritz Carlton mm-hmm. or the Four Seasons. The Four Seasons doesn't own that. So I do believe eventually there will be this, you know, amazing like DSO 2.0 or 3.0 that actually treats its doctors in a, in a win-win situation. And I think they're being formed as we speak, actually. I so. agree. I think that it all depends on which DSO. And I think it's going to be case uh, specific, but I do believe that some DSOs are moving towards that and they're very much owner doc centric or doctor centric. And I think that's a great model. If you take care of your doctors in terms of like thinking of them as your customer (laughs) and you take care of the doctors, the doctors will inherently be happier and be taking care of everyone else as well. Um, and so I do see that in that shift as well. Yeah, it's like I always say that the Yankees are not sitting around a table right now how to get more fans in their stadium. They're thinking how to get the top tier talent. And -hmm. I think that's the same in a good dental organization. It's like I'm always seeking the best people. I never think about getting more patients. So if I can get the best people on the team, the patients will absolutely just take care of themselves. And I think I know this is not about a DSO conversation, but there's one more thing I want to say. It's the market conditions have built the problem. So private equity has decided, the marketplace has decided specifically that as long as a dental, a DSO is acquiring more practices, they're worth more money. So that's, you know, there's no, I mean, I'm familiar with other, you know, as as familiar with other spaces, but it's always in business, it's always about same store sales growth. Chick-fil-A's all have to be doing better and then they open up more. But mm-hmm. in the in a lot of the DSOs, they're actually just as long as they're aggregating more practices, they don't actually have to do well on a case by case or store by store basis, which is really dangerous because Agreed. then it's not about your doctor and it's not right. about your team. It's like just can we open up or buy five more? As right. long, it's like a fish that it's like a game of mus- musical chairs. As long as the music's playing, it all works out. But right. I do I do fear that and I do think it's the market pressures that make that happen. Yeah, I, I see that as well. So I think you're right on, on uh, point with that. And I hope that that's not the trend as we continue on with the DSOs growing. Yeah, I think there's just like you have to, the dentist has to know the fit for the practice. The associate has to know their practice. I think the company has to know the investment as well. Some okay. investors want the return in one week or you know one year or two years. And other people are like, look, I mean, the, the fact of owning business or being a business owner is making long-term decisions for long-term profit and get rich slowly. 
And I think, you know, with a lot of quick, you know, duct tape DSOs and smaller DSOs, it's all about like, can we just do this really quick? And it's funny if you buy practices, you know, you buy 10, $1 billion practices, suddenly by the grace of God, they're all now that they're together, they're worth so much more money. So it puts pressure and it's bad for, bad for dentistry, bad for the dentist, bad for the team. And it's, it's hard to be a leader in situations like that because you really don't have as much control as you think. But I mm-hmm. think the more common thing is that you have more control than you think, than you believe. And you've just convinced yourself that you're powerless, like what you spoke about earlier. That's no, the most I- common thing. I, I completely agree. I think that the more that you tell yourself that you're a victim, the more you're going to believe it. And I think when you take control, that's where you're going to find your happiness. Yeah. And I think what happens a lot um, with associates is that you're in an associate position, whether or not it's a good one, that good fit for you or not. Um, you feel that I think oftentimes as dentists, we're linear thinkers. So it's okay. I got good grades. I went to dental school. Maybe I did a residency. I graduated. I'm an associate. The next step is ownership and thinking, you know, it's the same. We hear it all the time. You can't say once I get this, I'll be happy because that's not just, it's not the reality. And this isn't really probably news to a lot of people. They've probably gotten that one thing and been like, huh? I'm not happy. And like you said before, an office, anytime that you solve a problem, okay, so let's say you're in an associateship, you feel like you don't have control, you're craving that control, you go on, you own an office, okay, you solve the problem of control, but now you're going to have a boatload of other problems yeah. that you are the sole person that has to fix. So I think that once you really flip that script in your mind, change that narrative, you can find happiness in your associateship. Yeah, I think it's about knowing yourself. I always say it, but I always ask people, uh, it's amazing when people ask me advice and I say, well, why do you want to do it? And, or if I ask why, a series of why questions, it's always a blank, it, oftentimes it's a blank look and it's scary to think that they never thought why. And I wonder why I did what I did. I mean, I I really truly believe that if someone was doing something where they wanted to revolutionize and create an academic environment, a big, uh, you know, environment, a lot of people, I probably would have wanted to go with that person. But I think a lot of the reasons why I wound up being uh, an owner are not good necessarily. Like maybe at the time when I was younger, I wasn't really, I didn't like to follow the rules and it wasn't like I got rewarded to be an owner. I was probably just unfit to get along well with people, (laughs) you know I mean? At that age, at that stage in my life, I mean, you have to be able to, with, with, you know, it's, you have to be able to weather injustices and like, why did Mm -hmm. this happen? And why did that happen? You got to check your ego. And I think, um, you know, I, I look back on it and I don't know if it was, I had thought it out that much, um, but I, I'm, a, I'm a person who wants to win and will figure it out. And there's a lot of sleepless nights. And I don't know if, if my kids told me they wanted to do it. I don't know if I'd, I'd recommend that they do it. They have to, even my own children have to give me really, really good reasons. I meet with my UPS driver periodically. He's a really nice guy. I, I love talking to him and I look at his life and I'm just like, it's kind of cool to be him too. You right. know, what, at the end of the day, even though he hustled his ass off at 5.15 or 6 o'clock, whenever he gets off, he is done. Right. And if you're going to be an owner and want to have a family and all that stuff, you are never truly done. It is so true. I mean, I envision, I don't own a practice, but I envision it as having another child. It and is. so you like have to take care of it as a child and it's your baby and you have to grow it and nurture it and take care of it. And, and you worry about, about yeah, that's yeah. the problem. I'm not worried about the work. I'm worried about the, you know, there's three currencies in life, emotion, time, and money. 
And if you're, if you're looking to make more money and you're not willing to spend the emotion and the time, that's not, that's not going to be a good fit for you. And I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction in our profession because of that, unfortunately. Um, but, I think uh, so too. I think there's a lot of people that get into ownership and it's hard, you know, whether you're going to know. start up or you're buying something. Yeah, they don't know. And or you, you don't bought know. something that you didn't think it was totally misrepresented to you. Right, right. And so I think that we kind of just, a lot of practice owners can guide, kind of get themselves in deep water and they truly are just someone who loves sitting chair side. And yeah. so in that case, you know, maybe an associateship is better for them. Yeah. Maybe there's an opportunity to find an associateship with equity. You know, yes. maybe there's a part of you that's like, okay, I don't mind being a leader. I don't mind understanding the business of dentistry. I don't mind being more than quote, just an associate. But I also want some equity share if I'm going to be putting this much effort into being a leader and a prominent part in this office. Yeah. So, if you create value beyond the handpiece, you should have some equity. Right. You know, and I think the idea of, of working towards that, if you're, in a, if you're in a group practice or if there's some sustainable future for you, I would be working towards that would be my advice for somebody. It doesn't have to be like people who say like, well, how much percentage? Like, I don't I own Amazon stock. You know how much? percentage of Amazon company I own, it's like 0.0000001 and I'm still doing well. So if you believe in what you're doing and you're going to be there and you're adding value beyond the handpiece, meaning you're making your team better, you're making your practice better. Absolutely. Some chips on the table, make it cool. It makes it so yeah. fun and it makes it rewarding. I, I agree. And I think I've seen it more and more. I think I've seen more owners of group practices, multi-location, um, offering some sort of equity. And that's going to be up to their office of how much it's offered, how you obtain it. Uh, but I think that's a really important part. If you want to own a piece of something without having to be the sole owner of something, it is an opportunity that is out there. You just have to find the right owner doc that also sees that vision for their office. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. What was the third part of the associate? So we got a leader be, become uh, oh, CE, right? Yeah. So I mean, that's going to be something that I think every dentist is, well, not, I shouldn't say every dentist, but a lot of dentists are already doing. I, think, I hope so. I hope so. But I think it was actually on your guys' podcast. And I think you guys brought up an excellent point that when you graduate dental school, you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. And so I'm going to steal, this is totally your guys' content. But what you said was, you know, you see your friends placing implants and you're like, huh, I need to place implants. I need to go out and place implants. And I think that's wonderful to advance your skills into procedures in which you enjoy. But I think first and foremost, kind of what we spoke about before, get your feet wet, go do dentistry, be a leader, go work a full schedule. That's different than the two patients you maybe saw in dental school in a day, you know, get used to doing that bread and butter dentistry. And then from there, my best advice is to go out and seek a Coise, Spear, Dawson. And this is stuff that you guys have touched on tremendously. But I think once you can see the overall picture of dentistry, that's when you can get more into the micro of like, okay, now I need to learn how to place an implant because right. now I want to know there's a, I don't want to be thinking there's a hole. What do I put there? I want to be thinking, is there occlusion stable? Am I placing this implant in the correct spot? Am I looking at the overall picture right. or am I just being a single tooth dentist? Right. And there's the problem. The problem is that you can say, okay, the implant course is going to cost me five grand. I can charge two grand to place an implant. Great. In the first three cases, I make my money back. But with Dawson Coist and all those others, it's the stable foundation of occlusion. 
region, which by the way, will make you a better implantologist, Invisalign, ortho, perio. It's a, it's a, it's a foundation for everything, but it's, it's like, oh, 10 grand for that. How do I get my hat? You know, you can't do the math. You can't say, okay, I have to just do four implants. Because what do you leave when you just take a, you know, the first COIS class, you know, or orientation class, you don't have any specific, you know, you have a foundation, but you can't. So it's a, it's a little bit of a trap for the associate or the, I'm sorry, for the young doctor to look at, but I fully agree with you. You have to know what you don't know. And the only way to know what you don't know is either a getting your ass kicked or paying for it. Uh, right. I guess, I guess the, the concept I'm really saying is the tuition is never free. You're going to pay right. in money or you're going to get your butt kicked. <laughs> totally. And when I, I'm doing the COIS curriculum, when I went out and went to COIS, I was years into being an associate and I actually did the reverse. I did an implant course first before I did COIS. There's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in a sense though, I am engaged to an orthodontist. So we talk occlusion <laughs> quite often, but when I went out to COIS, it changed the way that I look at dentistry and it changed the way I speak about dentistry to my patients. Kind of like what we were talking about before of getting them on the journey with you and leading them towards understanding their health. That's what COIS got me to do. That's how it has. Now I have conversations with my patients that are scientifically proven conversations and it's showing them, I care about your whole well being and not just that single crown that you need. You see what you see. Yep. When you don't have great in depth, in depth of training, you see a hole, you see a replacement. Now you see a 28-year-old with age-inappropriate wear. And you can imagine when they're 38 or 48, mm-hmm. which is still young, at least in my book, and they're a disaster. So now right. it's a conversation like, what? how do you want to do this? Do you want to like wait till the roof of your house falls in and then build a new house? Or do you want to protect the house you're in? Right. And I think that's really important. I think if we, if there's one takeaway to, the, to a young dentist listening to this, investing in yourself is the single best ROI. And that'll help you actually find the job you like as well. Because if you go to these courses, then you're going to be asking different, you'll be over the shoulder of the other doctors be like, oh, they're just filling holes. They're doing tooth-based dentistry. So if mm-hmm. I am here with my COIS training and all this FMR training, am I going to really be happy here? They may right. not like your shit that you're talking about. Why mm-hmm. did you recommend a $50,000 recon on Mrs. Jones? Why did you know, right. you know, that, that was aggressive. Mm-hmm. Well, Mrs. Jones is 30 years old and lost four millimeters of a vertical and breaking teeth. But you, you have to have that fit. So I think it's important. All this is really important because it all ties back to each other. I agree. And I think that the more that you, I think you brought up an excellent point. The more that you invest in yourself, the more fulfillment you're going to have. At the end of the day, you know, we went into dental school and I can't speak for everyone and say we all love working with our hands and doing dentistry, but that's a skill that we have been practicing since day one of dental school. And so if you continue to advance yourself see what you enjoy, right? Maybe you enjoy root canals and you really want to take CEs on doing root canals and be so proficient at root canals, go and do that. Maybe you love cosmetics and you can sit and stare at a composite class four with 20 layers and you can stare at it for four hours and it's fulfilling you. And I think that's important to always just be advancing yourself through your skill and reinvesting in yourself. And then, like you said, it's going to pay tenfold. It's going to make for a more fulfilling career. in in my opinion. Uh, yeah. And just to add on to what you say, it's not only learning what you like, but learning how to not get your butt kicked. A lot of dentists that are really unfulfilled 
are getting poor clinical results, getting patients frustrated. I mean, we're all going to have those no matter how much skill you take on. But if you know more, you'll be better at what you do. You'll be able to take people on the journey as you spoke about, and you'll be able to change people's lives. I'll mention Dr. Lizelle, who's in the practice, who I think you met. She's from mm-hmm. Trinidad, really pretty woman. She came into this practice, summa cum laude from University of Pennsylvania. When I sat her down, I'm like, what kind of dentistry do you want to do? She's like, ah, I like doing signaling and crowns, a little bit of Invisalign. I definitely don't want to do any FMR. I'm not into cosmetics. Fast forward, she's been here like six months. She signed up for Coys, Nash. Mm-hmm. She's doing FMR. She's like, she can never unsee it because she right. wasn't exposed to it. She's like, what's Dr. Jenny doing? What is that? And the patients are just like overwhelmed with joy and fulfillment that they're doing this. So she's like, I want to do that. So it's an interesting thing. Um, you, you'll evolve over time and be careful saying never. I don't, or, or limiting your own self. You'll, you'll, you'll I think so. your words. And I think that it can be intimidating too. I think, you know, my very first day in private practice dentistry, I was there till 9 p.m. doing a root canal. And so like, you're so focused on the micro. We weren't open till 9 p.m. I, I was there that. Yeah. I put that together. <laughs> but we're I didn't so think you started focused. at eight, put it that way. <laughs> Exactly. But we're so hyper-focused on like the skills and it can feel intimidating to look at the mouth and look at FMR cases. And, you know, before I went to Kois, I would have patients where I would look at them and I knew that they were an FMR, but I didn't know what got them where they were. And so my biggest fear was that I'm going to do something and it's going to fail tomorrow. Right. Right. And so I don't want to get myself into hot water, but then by seeking out higher education, in learning via that avenue, it's less intimidating and it's more rewarding for you and the patients. Yeah, I think the overarching thing that we're talking about right now is investing yourself, hard work leads to more fulfillment. And I think there's a narrative that goes to the opposite now. So going back to your first thing about, you know, I'm stuck, I'm just this, or victim mentality, it's very pervasive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, re- in reality, the things that have brought me the deepest struggles have actually led to my greatest fulfillment and, and made me most happy. So uh, same things go with that. But um, I think we touched on a lot because without knowing all these uh, other parts that you said, the three parts, you're going to mm-hmm. pick the wrong place to work because you don't know what to ask. Oh, right. they seem really nice. This seems great. I love the TVs in every room. Let's roll. Right. right. Sounds exactly. great. You're five minutes from my house. <laughs> you know, like, that's <laughs> so not a, yeah, that's how most people do it. I think that's, that's how so most true. people pick a spouse as well, by the way. Oh my God, you like sushi. Oh, you work out. Let's roll. <laughs> Let's do this. That's, I mean, you're not wrong. It's funny. My fiance and I actually just had that conversation where um, I think a lot of people get into relationships and you can equate this to dentistry as well. It's like, oh, we just get along. But like, how do you workshop when you're not getting along, right? How do you have those tough conversations? How do you keep a team accountable? How do you keep your partner accountable? Yep. You know, those kind of things. And um yeah, it's all, it's all relationship. I mean, you bring up a Absolutely. really good point. The team, uh, the team is all relationship. Um, I get that comment a lot and it's like team versus community. You know, when you have a team, it's a group of people organized around a task. When you have a community, it's a group of people organized around a relationship. So mm-hmm. family, office, they should all be community. You shouldn't be taking score and just trying to do it around a task. So um, all good stuff. So uh, is that going to be your next series on, on relationship stuff as well? You could easily tell the three things about uh, successful associates. <laughs> I successful. don't know. Maybe I'll branch into relationship coaching, but right now I think dentistry is my forte. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it won't stop me from doing it. I'll probably give anybody advice, even if it's unsolicited. 
Anyway, Jenny, really appreciate you being here. Um, where can we follow you, find you? What are you? What's coming up? I know you're really busy. You're always, oh, I got exciting news, by the way. You're going to be on yeah. stage with us. How cool is that? Yes, I'm, that's so I, excited. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm insanely honored to be on stage with you guys. Um, a little bit of imposter syndrome, but I'll go up no, there. No, 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 no. <laughs> no I won't I, even I let you say that about yourself. No, I know. I'm, I say that jokingly, though, but I am very honored to be up there. I'm so excited to go to the summit. Um, I want everyone to know, anyone who's listening, when I went to your summit last year, it just opened my eyes to so many things that I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. And I think you guys just do an excellent job of teaching the doctors, but also teaching the team. And I think that you've said it a million times, too, that oftentimes doctors go to CEs and they're like, I'm so excited to implement it. but it, you also need your team just as excited. So I love that you guys incorporate that. But yeah, I'll be there in the summit um, in July in Austin. You guys are coming to my town, which is great. Or I should say city. <laughs> yeah, I know. Coming into Austin. I think the hotel is almost sold out if it's not. So um, act soon on those summit tickets. Where else? What else are you coming up? Uh, people can follow at yogidentist.com, right? I mean, I'm sorry, not yet yogidentist.com, but uh, at Yogi Dennis on Instagram, correct? Yes, uh, Yogi underscore Dennis. That's probably the easiest way to find me and talk to me. Um, and then I also, um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way is DM me. I'm pretty responsive via, um, via Instagram. And then the summit's coming up. Um, and yeah. Don't you have another one like a team or something like that? Yes, yes I'm so sorry. My, no, I just remember so this Friday, it's actually this Friday, I am doing, um, I'm doing more of the yoga takes. So good stretches to be doing in the office uh, between patients. We all have um, backs that hurt and muscles that hurt. So just a few easy stretches that you can incorporate during your day. Um, and so that is on Friday, but they have a whole summit as well. So cool. great stuff uh, coming from them as well. Okay, so um, I won't be taking any of your time at the Bulletproof Summit for your yogi expertise, although I know it is legendary. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, uh, for the sake of our summit, we're going to be picking your brain about all the stuff that you know in the industry. So um, okay. but I'm happy that you do that. I'm a huge believer in yoga and just uh, I'm just a big fan of what you're doing personally, Jenny. So honored to have you here. Honored to have you on stage with us in Austin. And I uh, can't wait to uh, see everybody in person in July. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so glad to do the two Pete and be on again after yeah. an experience. Yeah, we'll get Pete on. We'll do a three Pete, the two yeah. Pete plus Pete. That'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah, thanks for me. doing that. Um, and thanks for being here. And thanks for your commitment to dentistry and leading people because you are that leader. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you soon. Okay. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.